Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Carissa Mom Podcast with the HR Twins. We're so glad that you could join us today and so excited for this episode. So stay tuned. Thank you for joining the Career Salon Podcast with the HR Twins. We're excited to present to you this special episode for our Black History Month series, presented to Strava, the number one app for athletes, recorded live with our very special guest and Career Salon regular, Gianni Clarkson. Gianni is a community activist, educator, expert in history and social studies. We discuss the miseducation of corporate America, how lack of black history education affects the workplace. Please help us welcome Gianni into the salon. We have Gianni Clarkson, who we've known since fourth grade. He is a historian. (laughs) I'm just going to give you that title, Gianni. He's an educator. Um, When we thought about doing or having this conversation, shout out to Carter G. Woodson, who is the sole reason that we're having a celebration of Black History Month. And he wrote The Miseducation of the Negro. And so this title, the title of this conversation is homage to Carter G. Woodson. And when I think about Carter G. Woodson, who is a a historian who, um, you know, went through so much um, to kind of transition or develop Black history education, I think of Gianni um, as a younger version of Carter G. Wilson. I do. All the things that he does in the D.C. community. Um, He's an HBCU graduate of Dillard University. And I'm going to swing it over to Gianni to give you all a little elevator pitch (laughs) of his, his bio. Hey, good. Uh, I think it's morning there. We'll call it morning. Why not? I'm, it's afternoon here. And greetings from the nation's capital. My name is Gianni Clarkson. I'm really excited to uh, be here with this conversation. I've been teaching uh, for 10 plus years inside of secondary education and, of course, on the college level as well, too. I'm also a doctoral candidate. Please pray with me as I get through these past two chapters in my defense. Amen. And thank you so much. Um, in addition to that, I um, have won Teacher of the Year Award uh, numerous times inside the district, in addition to being a Forge Theater Oratory Fellow. Uh, Forge Theater Oratory uh, Fellow is a program where there are 32 of us throughout the country that use the power of education and oratory to teach social justice to students. Uh, within the 10 years in the existence of the program, I am the only African-American one and also the winner of the Lincoln Teacher Award as well. Uh, In addition to that, um, community service that I do throughout uh, the nation's capital and of course throughout the nation has landed me with the President's Award for Community Service, uh, which is really great. And uh, I hate hate talking about myself because now I'm hearing me talk about myself. I'm going, this is annoying and I will stop now. But most importantly, I'm very humbled to be here. Uh, I've known Carla and Camille since the fourth grade, and you'll be very hard pressed to find two people who are equally as beautiful on the outside as they are on the inside. So thank you so much for this. I'll pay you. I'll pay you later, Gianni. (laughs) Thank you. Carla Carla already cash at me. You're late, Camille, but that's fine. (laughs) But you know, I'm. You know, I mean that sincerely. You know, I do. You know, I do. (laughs) Well, let's get into this conversation um, and talk about 
you know, the miseducation of corporate America. Let's start with you, Gianni, and why did you get into education, specifically the areas of social studies and Black history? Right. So everything begins and ends with my success of my father. So um, my dad taught in D.C. for basically 10 plus years uh, as a social studies teacher. And I was able to see through him his ability to get people engaged inside of how does our country work. For people that consistently feel disenfranchised by the rules, a lot of times they find out that the reason why you're so disenfranchised is because you don't know the rules of the game. Then also you then begin to learn that, hey, some of these rules were never made for you to be successful. And how do you, as a Black man teaching in predominantly urban markets, make sure that you're empowering the next group of leaders? In addition to doing that, he was very big inside the community, making sure that kids that had the least of things had the best of chances of being successful. Um, I fought teaching for the longest. I went to school, as you both know, for theater, arts, and speech communications. Um, with, of course, a bit of a concentration in history. Don't tell George Clarkson, because that makes, that makes it sound like he was right about something. We don't need that anymore, right? So then, of course, in addition to that, right, um, I worked in a nonprofit. I acted professionally for two and a half years, won a regional Tony. Life was great. And then all of a sudden, I was in the midst of kind of a, I don't think I want to do something anymore. And my dad said, you know, you're actually really good at teaching. And I went, no, you don't know what you're talking about. And sure enough, over in time, here I am teaching and loving it. It's one of my favorite things about waking up is being able to engage with young minds. I really, really enjoy not just on secondary, but also on the college level as well too, helping to make sure that I create a brand of education where kids are excited to go to school. Like whenever I hear a kid say, I hate school, what I'm really hearing is I hate the presentation of learning. And that's got to stop in our country. We got to stop the presentation of how we, how we teach people because that's what makes people hate school. You don't hate learning things. No one hates to learn something. Like right now, if I said right now, we're going to all learn how to play guitar. Immediately, everyone gets a little excited going, oh, this is different. I might try it, but no one's going to, no one's going to be upset about it. It's all about the presentation. How do we get better at presenting to our youth? Yeah, absolutely. I want to ask a question that we didn't talk about. <laughs> because oh, Camille, wow. <laughs> Camille, she had a great intro talking about, you know, Black History Month and how it's come about and all of that. And, you know, we would have some people during this time, we always have those few people that say, why do we need a Black History Month? Like, you, we, you know, you want money for programs. You want a whole month. You want equal rights. Like, why is the focus, you know, why do we have to focus on one particular race for discussion of things like this? What would you say to people that think like that? Sure. Ready? Let's sing this song together. There was a farm that had a dog and beat. Oh, Ed, is his name on? That's what American history is currently. We didn't hear a B, we didn't hear an I, we didn't hear an N, we didn't hear a G, we didn't hear an O. We're singing a very incomplete song, and that's the problem. Though we celebrate African American History Month, which is great, let's talk about the real beginning of the struggle. The beginning of the struggle is that it used to be African American History Week. Week. And Carter G. Woodson fought 
to get it to be a month. And the only way they were able to sell it to be a month is because it happens to fall in the same month of Lincoln's birthday. That's the only reason why he was able to sell this. Let's go a little bit further, right? At the end of the Civil War, there now becomes a conversation of how do we educate people about our history? The majority popular power said, you know what? There are things that are inside of our history that don't make us look good. Slavery doesn't make us look good. The Civil War doesn't make us look good. And because of that, an organization called the Daughters of the Confederacy basically stronghold, <laughs> put a stronghold on how education was presented, especially historical education. Um, let's go here. Between 1911 and 1916, everything had to be tracked inside of a guide, which was called the test of a textbook, meaning that before you could teach out of a, test, a, te a textbook, a teacher had to read it and make sure that they weren't offended by anything that was said yet before that history was presented to children. Just think about that for a second. If you're in the South and there's a, a child of color in your classroom, how comfortable do you necessarily feel about a conversation of slavery or a conversation about the Confederacy? And we have unfortunately seen these same practices weave themselves into the soundtrack of America and black folks and people of color get weaved out all the time. We're listening to an incomplete song of America. So that's why black history is important. That's why women's history is important. That's why all these various notes and songs that get removed are important. When my history is an elective and someone else's history is mandatory, how serious do you take it? Yeah. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about that, right? Because we're talking about the miseducation of corporate America, right? Is there a, a distinction between miseducation or misconceptions and just ignorance or lack of knowledge? <laughs> of course, because I know how to work on a mute button, right? They're both. They're both. They're they're absolutely they're absolutely connected to one another. If you plead ignorance or choose stupidity, you're still part of the problem, right? The best thing that you can do is say, I'm gonna choose knowledge. I'm gonna choose awareness. So the miseducation has to stop because we realize that there are too many staff faculty rooms that look like the central perk. Ready? Let's play along, right? Uh, somebody told her to never be this way, right? We're talking about friends, right? Now, if we watch an episode of Friends, where are the Black people at the Central Park? No, seriously, where are they? You're in a New York neighborhood and there's no Black people? Like, for real, fam. Not one? Like, we can't even get a busboy that walks by? No, not at all? There are too many corporate, there are too many corporations and faculty rooms inside of these really great Fortune 500 companies that look like the Central Park. That doesn't make sense. That's disingenuous, right? And a lot of times the excuse has been, well, we don't know where to find quality black talented people or people of color. That can't be the excuse because you know what? There's quality black HBCUs, there's quality black folks at PWIs all over the place. So it's not the fact that there's not quality, 
It's the fact that you're not looking and that's part of the problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we say at the same time. <laughs> Are you guys related? No? Yes, maybe. <laughs> so when we talk about the lack of education and it mean equal across the board and learning a full history, we think about, and this is the reason why we came up with this topic before on a different platform. We were talking about how those gaps in education and knowledge transfer to the corporate community, where mm -hmm. we work, how we interact with people, you know, and people's willingness to get to know who they work with or who they want to work with. So right. how, how do you see that these gaps have affected us corporately as workplaces? They affect them, they affect corporately because your staff is not as good as you think it is. Sorry, I'm just being honest. It's just not that good. I'm not saying it because of lack of diversity, which is, which is true. I'm saying it because you haven't explored all the, all the parts of the talent pool, okay? And that's a problem. For anyone that follows football, right, Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice is considered one of the greatest football players to ever play the game, hands down. What PWI did Jerry Rice go to? I do this to my students all the time. Trick question. He didn't. He went to an HBCU. That meant the 49ers were brave enough to go and find that talent. They didn't say he's not on our TV consistently, therefore he can't be good. No, no, no. They found him. Michael Strahan, yeah, that Michael Strahan, the one that is a Hall of Fame or a Super Bowl winner, what PWI did he go to? Wait, did he do it again? Yes, he did. Ah, he went to Texas Southern. That's an HBCU. He also, at the time of Texas Southern, he also um, majored in mass communication. Oh, so that's why he's good at that thing. Yeah, it's all starting to make sense, right? Someone had to be brave enough to say, I see it, that's talent, and I need it. If I'm supposed to be the best, I want to see all the best, right? We, we grew up as Detroit kids, right? And yeah. we know that Barry Gordy went everywhere to go find talent to build the brand of Motown. Yep. He went everywhere. If you're good, you're good. Hey, man, who's that guy on the drums? It's a white guy. Oh, he's good. We'll take him. That was the end of conversation. It wasn't, well, wait a minute, uh, I don't really know. No, I'm looking for talent. I'm trying to be the best. Therefore, I will look anywhere for it. That's, the, that's when you know an organization has a growth mindset and is really trying to do some great things. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we chatted a couple of times, Gianni, in our own like side conversations, the importance of having difficult conversations in the workplace, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a subject matter like this is, you know, is, you know, we need to have these difficult conversations, but when, is, when are you like separating, okay, learning a perspective and the per versus having to be right? Like, is there a winner? Ooh, I see what, you, I see what you're doing here, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to wait for you to be comfortable with a truth to tell you the truth. 
And I think that's a problem a lot of times inside of America. I'm not ready to have this conversation because I'm just not. But it's a truth that we need you to get this, but I'm, I'm not ready. No, you, you got to be ready for some things, right? You, you, you got to be ready. Like, for example, if you gained a little weight, you put on a shirt, hey, we're having a little problem with buttons. That's the truth. You got to admit it. Might need to get a new shirt. It's okay. It's okay to admit that, right? <laughs> but we, but we, but we, we're not going to walk up out talking about, hey, how's everyone doing? You didn't tell yourself the truth. Now you're looking crazy. And now, you, now you're going to make me lie to you. And I don't want to, right? <laughs> That's the problem, right? We can't, we can't continue to say, we'll wait till you're comfortable to deal with the truth of their things not being equal in corporate society or the fact that I'm not ready to have these difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. These difficult conversations have been waiting for you at the door. We, <laughs> we're ready for you to come on and mm -hmm. be brave. And, it, and, it, and, it, and I'll say this much. It's okay to admit you're ignorant and it's okay to admit you've made bad, you've made bad mistakes, right? But what we cannot allow is for you to continue these things and then say, well, I'm not ready yet. That's not fair. That's disingenuous. Because you're, you're not the hero in the story and you're definitely not the victim. You're a villain. You're making something worse. Yep. Yeah. I have a question that's not, not a question we discussed. <laughs> So I have a question about your perspective on people that are maybe have a lack of lack of knowledge and they want to know something. For example, I think about six years ago, I was, you know, a senior HR professional at a manufacturing site. And mm -hmm. one of my employees who I know and see every day and talk to. One day we were just walking down the hall and he was like, let me see, Carla, can I ask you a question? And I was like, sure. Um, do you wash your hair? Um, yes, um, because you have those dread things. And so I was just wondering, you know, do you wash those? And so for me, um, especially being HR, um, I took that as a teaching moment and, you know, explain to him what that process looked like. And, but some people are like, you have Google, you can look that up yourself. Like, what is your perception on what people should voluntarily go research, look, find out for themselves versus, you know, I just wanna ask, um, how, did you, how did your hair go from short to long? in one week and you know and different questions about things they may not know about regarding other people's cultures and how we respond to that what's your perspective on that to your question yes and i'm gonna use my second city trend right yes and ready for it here's your yes and the yes is is that if there's something that you don't know you should be brave enough to look it up that's fine you know I, I want to do the Amber Ruffin song, but I feel like I'm the only one that watches Amber Ruffin. I love Amber Ruffin. But basically, it's a, in this song, it's like, look it up yourself. I do agree with that. However, I do believe that if you are sincere and wanting to know something, which I believe the person in your story was, then you know how to ask that question appropriately. 
you know, there's a sincerity to it. Hey, due to my limited knowledge of where I've been in the world, I don't know this. Help. People love to help other people. Mm-hmm. They do. Love it. What you need help? Come on, I got you. People love to help other people, especially when it comes to a level of understanding. Because what you've done, like Carla, in that story, is you've helped to build out your culture. You build out not your personal culture, but the culture of where you work. I understand something now. Now, I'm, I have more empathy and sympathy for somebody. And that's also a reason why like diversity training is so important is because it helps with the empathy and sympathy of how we understand various, how various decisions are being made or why someone thinks a certain type of way. When we lose that, we start to have a whole lot of problems and we start to create a work environment where people don't feel like they can be their best self. And most importantly, people cannot be creative. Like, think about it. When you're your most creative, it's because the people around you have made you feel safe. Yes. I've got an idea. Really? Let's hear it. Nerd moment. Here we go. Dr. E.L. Holloway has a book called Shine, How to Get the Best Out of People Using Brain Science. And one of the major things that he talks about inside this book is that people feel, when people are safe, people have the room to create and play. Let's just look at Google. All right. So Google got a branch here in D.C. It is the most colorful, diverse United Nations place I've ever been in my entire life. <laughs> like it is amazing. OK. And I'm going, this makes sense. That's why the Google art so good every other day. They're creative. They feel safe. They can do all these really great things. Mm-hmm. If you want the best out of your corporation where you currently work, how are you consistently creating safe spaces for everybody that's involved? So that's, that's, that was really what you did, Carla, in the long run, is that you create a safe space. Yeah. Let's talk about that because we're like talking about inclusion, right? Um, kind mm-hmm. of in that realm. So I love this story, Gianni, because you talk about how America is not a melting, melting pot. People say that all the time. Oh, America is a melting pot. Smooth there. It's a melting pot of all different cultures and things like that. But you say with your New Orleans, uh, <laughs> with your New Orleans brain, you say it's gumbo. It's not a melting pot. Why do you say that? So for me, it's going to be all, it's got to be gumbo because cultures don't melt. What The reason why people of color don't feel safe and most of their jobs is because they're asked their cultures to melt down to to basically fit a mold and that's not what you want like when i when i interview people i don't want someone to be gianni trust me we've got we've got enough of those we need just one i need someone that's going to build out a brand in a creative way and see something differently right so America for the longest, you know, we're a melting pot and we're all in this together. No, no, no. We can still be in this all together and still hold on to things that are culturally significant to who we are. In fact, we're better for that. We're better for that. Just think a couple of years ago, right? That Pepsi commercial. And you know what Pepsi commercial I'm talking about. If you want to mention this, as my eyes get big and I make this face, right? <laughs> Where, where Kylie Jenner walks up 
and she holds the Pepsi. And of course, as she holds the Pepsi, the riots stop. If there was one person of color in that room, maybe from New York, a predominantly black city, that commercial doesn't get made. Hey man, don't do that. A couple of years ago, Mary J. Blige, she literally took one of her popular songs and it, she was singing about chicken. If there's just one person, Mary, 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 sing real love. Don't do that. Don't do that, Mary. So don't do that. And, and that's a problem. Mary, just sing real love. Dun, dun, dun. I'm sorry. I was about to go on a tandem. I love Mary J. Blige. But anyway, that's, that's a problem. So we, we got to make sure that we're, we're building. If you want the best of your corporation, you should be able to have sounding boards everywhere yeah. that truly are perspectives of America. So that when someone says, I got an idea, we can walk it across all the sounding boards and say, you know what? Mm -hmm. This idea works because we made sure to be inclusive and we're not offensive. Hooray for us. Absolutely. So these last several years, we've seen a growth and divisive behavior um, between our different cultures and groups in the U.S. Um, what's your advice on how to shift the divisiveness into collaboration at a company level? Ooh, all right. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a two-step through this very carefully because I'm, I'm not going to, I don't want to talk political, right. but I'm just going to try and two-step through this. Real, ask your question again, and I have the best answer in the world. Okay, <laughs> so coming out <laughs> these last several years is sure. an increase in growth in divisive behaviors between our groups, you know, and cultures in the U.S. So what is your advice on how we can collaborate better, even in a corporate environment, and not give in to some of these divisive structures that are trying to be put into place? Got it. So one earnest diversity training way forward but there's a caveat and everyone has to buy in mm -hmm. and how do you buy in you can't walk up in the club as the victim this ain't your story okay this ain't your story it's our story okay a lot of times when i've walked in diversity training everybody's walked in with their own chip on the shoulder mm -hmm. well i don't like this because of that and I don't like that because of that. And now all of a sudden it becomes um, a hurt contest. I'm hurt. Well, will I hurt too? Well, I hurt the most. Well, I hurt the most because I'm this. Well, I'm hurt the most because of that. And so on and so on and piles and piles and piles until all we've received is that, hey, we've got a staff full of hurt people. Good talk, everybody. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. Right. Because in the, in the midst of that, somebody's gotten gaslighted. Somebody realizes I don't really like working here anymore. And somebody has went straight to LinkedIn and hit that tab. Boop. And you know what that tab is? Looking for a job. And, that, and that's the truth. Mm -hmm. That's a very much so truth. Where so, the best thing that you can do inside these trainings is come in as a listening ear. Mm -hmm. Hey, I never, I didn't know that that's what you thought. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that's what you experienced. And therefore, then you share your story. Hey, I didn't know that's what you thought. I didn't know that's what you experienced. Now, mind you, 
also inside diversity training, we have to understand that on some things there will be there won't be closure today. There won't be closure today. Mm -hmm. Like you're not going to walk in with issues and then walk out holding hands, you know, coking a smile, holding hands across the across the globe. We wish, but it's not real. But continuously, earnestly, honestly doing the work makes it possible. Yeah. And I think that's where that's where we have to exist. You have to acknowledge your privilege. What is your privilege? I know as a I, I know as a black man, I have a privilege. Those are things that I have to recognize. Mm -hmm. I also realize that if I want to be successful, I also am a very, very avid feminist. I am. Why? Because I want the best. Like that's what it boils down to. I can't say this is, this is my issue, this is my hurt, this is my issue, this is my hurt. And then at the same time, not acknowledge that there may, that not there may be, yeah, that there may be a woman who is better at this job than me. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's better? Hire her. That's mm -hmm. in the conversation. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, because we, because if we're really, if we really say we want the best out of our careers and we really want professional growth, then you want to create a world or a, an atmosphere where peer growth becomes important. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, you're right about that. We are winding down our time and we only have a few minutes left for uh, the podcast portion of this conversation. But I- You said I, we were going to talk for three hours that's in the contract. I'm pulling it up right here. No, I'm not <laughs> Lies, you fail. <laughs> I want to talk about like what, what can non-people of color do to kind of, help this experience along and make things better in corporate America. Very I, guess people, I guess some people call it allyship, but I'm just describing it in a, a, a different it's, type it's, of way. It's, it's very easy. And I'm going to say this, it's going to be controversial. Hold on. We'll still be friends at the end of it. I promise we will. Come on, let's say it together. We will be friends after I say this statement. We, we don't, black, <laughs> cool. Black folks don't need white saviors. We don't. We don't, we're fine. What we need are Scotty Pippen. We need really good teammates. That's what we need. Hey man, and we need someone to be bold enough when something is not right in the arena to say that's wrong. Mm -hmm. See, here's the issue, right? Black folks for the longest and people of color for the longest have been carrying the mantle of, we're coming here to tell you that's wrong. Don't y'all understand that that's wrong? And then everyone who's not a person of color goes, oh yeah, I guess it's not wrong. It is wrong. Oh, thank you black people for telling us that. We need people to basically walk into areas and see when diversity is not happening, that's not a person of color to say, hey, that's wrong. Why is it wrong? We all, we all look alike. That's, this is wrong. This is wrong. I don't think we got the best talent. We missed. And, and, and we, we can fix it, but we missed. Yeah. Think about it like this, okay? In an Easter egg hunt, right? You don't go get the first five eggs you see and go, wow, I think this is it. We've got it. No, you don't do it. So why would you do it with your corporation? Just think about it. Why, why is a five-year-old version of yourself better 
at picking picking better options than the grown folk version of yourself. Oh wow! <laughs> That's, I'm serious. Easter's right around the corner. If you if I threw a thousand eggs out there and it was like, because I'll give you a good example, right? So when I was a kid, there's a major Easter egg hunt that happened at the church, and I used to love like when Mr. Young, Mr. Young's amazing. He would put a hundred dollar bill in one of the plastic eggs. We would try to get as many eggs as possible. There was not one child at St. Stephen's that was like, well, I got my three eggs, feeling lucky. No, you wouldn't do that. You just wouldn't do that. It just doesn't even make sense. So the, the best bet is to really go after finding the best, finding the talent. The five-year-old version of you at an Easter egg, at an Easter egg hunt should not be better than the grown folk version of you when you're looking for talent to build out your organization. Thank you. This is Carla, the HR expert. And this is Camille, the recruiting expert. And we're the HR twins. You just finished an episode of the Career Salon podcast. Be sure to follow us on all social media platforms at The Career Salon. And don't forget to subscribe and follow on all podcast platforms for upcoming episodes.